we exist to come alongside people who are hurting, who are broken, who are messed up, to come alongside them and give them love and to give them grace and to give them encouragement until they can rise above it and walk on that path on their own. We are Pathway Church, located in Burleson, Texas. We worship together, we serve together, and we grow together. Yes, can you please give God a round of applause for what just happened through the band? Well, good morning, church. Good morning to our online community, especially to my online community. If you haven't already downloaded the app, I encourage you to do so because you can follow along with our message notes today. It is so good to be here with you. If I haven't got to meet you, my name is Cheyenne Davis. I would love to do so right after service. We are so glad uh, that you came here today to worship with us and figure out what God has for us today. I'm super excited because we are in week two of a sermon series called, Is This It? And last week, we really dove into the story of Elijah, and we learned that God is with us even when we experience the harsh, rude awakenings of life. And this week, what we're going to do is we're going to ask the question, do you think you and I might play any part of setting ourselves up to experience those moments where we sit back and look around and ask, is this it? And I know we're human, right? I mean, show of hands, who really likes to look in ourselves and see if there's anything wrong with us, right? Yeah, I didn't think so. But that's what we get to do today, is we get to see if we have played any part specifically around the unrealistic expectations that we have of ourselves. And if you don't think you have any unrealistic expectations, let me give you a few questions. If you've ever asked, how did I get here in my life? If you've ever asked, why does this keep happening to me? Or maybe it's the question, why do bad things keep happening to good people? Maybe you've had seasons where you're just angry with God because there's so much that you don't understand that's happening in your life and happening in the world around you. Maybe you're angry at God today. And then there's some of us, maybe when you're by yourself, or maybe when you're in a big room full of people, your personal thoughts are dark and dangerous, and you're asking the question, do I even belong here? If any of those questions apply to you or scenarios apply to you, first off, I want to tell you that you're in good company. Here at this church, we've all experienced those things. But if any of those questions or scenarios apply to you, I would like to encourage you that there may be some unrealistic expectations at play. And this thing called unrealistic expectations, it's kind of hard to identify because it's kind of like looking for something that's invisible. So how do we see what we can't always see clearly? And I think it's a couple of different ways that we do this. And the first is one, through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can reveal to us so many things when we dig into the Word. The Holy Spirit can reveal things to us when we're in community. And the other way is when we have really healthy and positive people speaking into our lives to help us disarm unrealistic expectations. 
And one is more difficult than the other. I really think that when we try to figure out if we're operating from unrealistic expectations, it's really difficult. And I'm going to show you two unrealistic expectations and share with you, I'm going to be really vulnerable, two unrealistic expectations that I've had to wrestle with as I've prepared for today. And the first one is, I've been expecting a growth spurt since 1994. <laughs> That's sixth grade for me. It hasn't happened. You know it. I know it. I just keep changing how I describe it. In middle school, I said, I'm going to hit that high school growth spurt. Then I'm going to hit that growth spurt in my 20s. And then I'm going to hit it in my 30s. And now I'm saying, I'm going to hit that midlife growth spurt. And I have lived this unrealistic expectation for so long. When I see a picture of me with a group of people, I kind of elbow my husband. I'm like, look at that short Filipino girl. I feel so sorry for her. And my husband's like, Cheyenne, that's you. I'm like, oh, that's unfortunate. But that's what unrealistic expectations do for us. They deeply alter how we see ourselves and how we see God moving in the world. Another unrealistic expectation that I'm just not ready to let go of, you can laugh all you want, but one year uh, we were at CrossFit and our coach asked us, okay, what's your fitness goals for the year? And I was hearing all of these really achievable, attainable goals. And I usually keep my goals to myself because I think I, I have a higher likelihood of achieving them if I keep them to myself. But all of a sudden, I blurted out, I want to look like Dwayne the Rock Johnson. <laughs> I think I'm getting close. What do you think? But I looked up and I realized that the whole gym had gotten really quiet. And I saw my coach and my husband like pointing at each other, trying to figure out who's going to tell her that that's not going to happen for her. Finally, my husband lost, and he looked at me, and he said, Cheyenne, I really don't want you to look like that. <laughs> but that's what I mean. Our unrealistic expectations that we defend can really alter what is true about ourselves and true about our understanding of God. And it's really easy for us to point out the unrealistic expectations of other and now others. And now some of you are about to feel attacked. And I don't want you to feel attacked. I'm simply just trying to show the difference between how easy it is to identify the unrealistic expectations of others versus identifying the unrealistic expectations of ourselves. Cowboys fans, this involves you. <laughs> and don't be mad. I was raised by a Cowboys fan. And I loved it because every time, every time they lost a game, my daddy would look at me and he would say, Lidlin, they almost had them. And I would smile and I would nod, much like I do with you. In my head, though, I'm thinking, but did they? Did they really? And as I grew up and I grew out of my really small town, I realized all Cowboys fans operate this way. Every season that begins, you are just hopeful and excited that they're going to make it to the Super Bowl. And then when they don't, it is really fascinating to watch this existential crisis of disbelief just happen everywhere. And it, it appears that you were shocked, truly shocked that they didn't make it to the Super Bowl. <laughs> it's awesome. And I really enjoy the conversations the Sunday following the game. Because I hear it everywhere, I cannot believe they didn't make it this year. And every once in a while it'll fall to me and they'll say, Cheyenne, can you believe it? And I'm like, yes, yes, I can. Yes, I can. Oh, yes, I can. And out of 52 Super Bowls, they've made it eight times and won five. Statistically speaking, I shouldn't be the only one. But that's what I mean about identifying other people's unrealistic expectations. 
It's easy for us to do that. And I encourage you to do so in a loving way to the people that you care for. But it's easy for us because we are not physically and emotionally close to the thing that someone is guarding with their unrealistic expectations. And vice versa. You have not been living my dream of being 5'6 and looking like Dwayne The Rock Johnson for over a decade. You can see very clearly what's not going to happen for me, for I'm still figuring out the truth. We all can operate from unrealistic expectations. And so the invitation today is to allow God to show us all if we also may be operating from unrealistic expectations. Before we open what God has for us today, I would love to pray. Good morning, God. We thank you so much that you have given us this moment to speak to us. God, we thank you even when we leave this place, you are still speaking and moving and acting in our lives and in the world around us. And so, God, I pray that you just give us eyes to see what you have for us, ears to hear, and mobilize us in ways to disarm unrealistic expectations and be the hands and feet of Jesus that you are calling us to be. Amen. I'd invite you to open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter 12. It's where we're going to start today. And we've got really one story that we're focusing on, but there's two stories kind of running parallel. And the story that we're going to look at today is the story of a man named Lot. And now Lot has a ton of complicated activity happening around him and a ton of activity happening within him. And now Lot is the nephew of a man named Abraham. And you might have heard of Abraham. And in fact, Abraham's a pretty big deal. In fact, three of the most spoken religions, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, stem from Abraham. So we'll hear his story in parallel. When we begin today, he hasn't yet been renamed Abraham yet. So you'll see him referred to as Abram. And Abram was a really big deal. And in fact, God gave a very specific promise to Abram. And you can find it in verse 2, chapter 12 in Genesis. And to Abram, he says, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. Verse 3 says, I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Sounds like Abram has been dealt a pretty good hand. And to kind of picture this dynamic between Abram and Lot, who we're going to meet in just a second, have you ever been in a room full of people where there's one person that is really dynamic, captivating all the attention, and you just feel like you're over here in a corner and no one sees you? Have you ever felt that way? And you're thinking one of two things of that person that's captivating all the attention. One, they're either really annoying and you wish they'd be quiet, Or two, there's pieces of you that wishes you were like them. And I think that's kind of what we see happening here between Abram and Lot. Abram's got all this promise story gravitating around him, and Lot is sprinkled in. Or maybe you're part of a a big family. Raise your hands if you're part of a big family. Fantastic. Thank you so much. And... In your big family, have you ever noticed that there might be a golden child? You know, the child that you know does wrong, but the family doesn't do they know, think they do any wrong? That's kind of what's happening between Abram and Lot as well. A lot of attention is put on Abram, but Lot's story, this is where I really start to relate to him. 
Because so many times I think the places that you and I can struggle the most is when we don't think that we're a big deal to God. When we don't think we're seen by God. When we think someone else is seen by God more than we are. And when we do that, you and I start operating out of an unrealistic expectation that we have. And I think as we open the story of Lot today, I think we can find three common unrealistic expectations in our story. And that is an unrealistic expectation that we have of ourselves. This is in your message notes. The unrealistic expectation that we have in our relationships. And most important, the unrealistic expectations that we may have about God specifically pertaining to the promises that God has for us. And the reason I'm telling you these things on the front end is because when we see something for the first time, that is the moment that we have the opportunity to disarm it in our own lives and defeat it. And the gift of seeing is what we are given through God's word. And so I pray that you also find some things today that we can all grow together on. So we've got Abraham, we've got Abram, and we've got Lot. They're running parallel to each other. God calls Abram into this beautiful future that Abram's never dreamed of and into this land he doesn't know where it is. And Abram decides to take his wife, his people, and his nephew, Lot. And if you flip on over to chapter 13 with me, by the time we get there, Abram and Lot have done so well. They've acquired so much wealth, so many things that the land could not support them. And so some arguments and fights began to break out between Lot's herders and Abram's herders. And as we see in verse 8, Abram goes to Lot and says, Let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herders and mine, for we are close relatives. It's not the whole land before you, so let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right, and if you go to the right, I will go to the left. Please see here. Lot's been given a clear choice. No choice is wrong. But what we're about to see is one choice does come with the disclaimer that there's some dangers and problems that he needs to be aware of. We read on, Lot looked around and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan toward Zoar was well watered like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. And this was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot chose for himself the whole plain and set toward the east. And the two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain, and, this is important, pitched his tents near Sodom. And now the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. In your message notes, the first unrealistic expectation that we see Lot create is I miss the big picture because I'm focused on the details. This is a classic I can't see the forest for the trees situation. And here's a little bit of an example that we've provided for you. Okay. How many of you would rather go there right now? Right? This is the same thing that I think Lot experienced. He saw this beautiful place and he was just like, I want to go to there. It didn't matter what the reputation around Sodom and Gomorrah was. He just wanted to go to that beautiful place. And I think there's so many areas in our life that we can miss the big picture for the details. 
And you know, sometimes, sometimes we do set the bar too high, like me wanting to look like the rock, right? That's too high. It's not achievable. But more often than not, you and I set the bar too low. And some areas that we set the bar too low and miss the big picture, and I see this with people all the time, people who are dating. In the season of dating, I often see people setting the bar too low. Do you? And I think sometimes we set that bar too low is because we don't understand what God is truly calling us into or what God has truly given us and blessed us with. I met this, this girl one time, and we weren't really friends. We were acquaintances at best. And she just kept telling me every time I met her about these crazy ex-boyfriends that she had. They were three, but they were basically the same guy. You know what I mean? Like the same problems, the same quirks, the same drama, the same toxicity. And eventually I asked her, what keeps drawing you in? And she did this thing. She, she looked at me and she was like, oh, Cheyenne, they were really good looking. And she did this eyebrow thing that I can't even do. But then she got really serious and she said, Cheyenne, they keep finding me. And I completely lost my filter and I've got to get better at that. And I said, do they keep finding you? Because it seems like you keep finding them. Over three different relationships, the common denominator is, well, you. And then she didn't talk to me again. And that's okay. Because I really did overstep my boundary. You have to have a really good, healthy relationship with someone to speak into people like that. And I did not have that. I don't blame her for doing that. But I think it's the same thing that we see Lot doing. He saw a beautiful oasis. None of the, none of the bigger picture mattered. And he just said, I want to go to there. Sometimes we just see an attractive place or an attractive scenario. And we're the same way. We just want to go to there. It doesn't matter what it comes with. I also see us missing the big picture sometimes when we're grieving. And I'm not trying to be insensitive. I know some of you have experienced loss that I cannot even articulate. And it's an honor to sit in those moments of grief with people. But so often, we miss the big picture when we're grieving. And I can hear us missing the big picture when I hear things like, I just don't know why I'm not over it. I just don't know why I'm not better. And so many times in our grief, we just want to be better. But you've experienced epic seismic loss. No one expects you to be better. But by the grace of God, you can get through it. God is with you. He's not waiting for you to get better to be with you. He's with you right now in the trenches. And there's no other place he would rather be than with you. What you're going through is important. It is closest to God's heart. You're not alone. Some other areas I see as missing the big picture is in toxic relationships. And I want to take a look at Abram and Lot's strategy when conflict came, because I think they did a really good job. As far as we can see in the text, as soon as quarreling started, Abram and Lot came together, Abram gave Lot a choice, and they separated. 
And so many times, it is just so much easier, and I am at fault too, but it's so much easier to just go and talk about how annoying Lot is. Or it's so much easier to go to another group of people and talk about how privileged Abram is. And you and I are given opportunities all the time to establish healthy boundaries where both parties can thrive. And what I love so much, because we see Abram showing up for Lot often after this moment, what I love about their relationship is they did not separate because they were done with each other. They separated to salvage the relationship that they cared for so that they could both be what God called them to be and be who God is calling them to be. Healthy boundaries help everyone thrive. And toxic relationships, I see it with parents, of children, adult children, who are addicts and struggling. They have this really healthy picture of what a healthy parent-child relationship should look like, that they cannot address the dysfunction that's truly happening. And they're looking at this functional picture that they've created in their mind and not addressing the dysfunction, expecting it to change overnight without any effort And vice versa, I know adult children who put up with emotionally abusive parents because they too, they have this picture of what a healthy parent-child relationship should look like. And so many times I've heard scripture weaponized against them. Well, Cheyenne, shouldn't I honor my mother and father? And this is where I've got to get better too, because sometimes I'm like, yeah, but your mama's crazy. (laughs) And she needs Jesus. And so do we. But so many times we don't, we don't address the dysfunction because we paint in this beautiful picture of our own personal functionality that will never allow us to get into the trenches of how to make it actually better. Toxic relationships, we see it a lot now. All right, let's talk about this. Sometimes we miss the big picture as followers of Jesus. And I know this sounds a little crazy, but you know, like when you're first like out the gates and you're ready to profess Jesus as Lord, you are so on fire for God. You want to do everything for God. You want to pour out your life and your energy for God that somewhere along the way you forget to spend time with God. And you find yourself burnt out and confused and maybe a little disappointed in the church. And now, I'm not saying serve less. There's children's ministers all over the world who just raised up and said there's a disturbance in the force. I'm not saying serve less at all. Serving is where we are connected to our purpose. Serving is where we get to use the giftedness that God has given us to answer the call on each of our lives. If we don't serve, we're disconnected from that purpose. This is not about not serving, but everything to do about how much space are you creating daily so that you can experience the renewal that God has for you. The only person that can manage our time is us. And if you find yourself giving from an empty cup, you will find yourself burnt out every single time. You know, sometimes you and I, when we seem like we're at a crossroads or maybe even a rut, 
We pray for a sign that God will show us what we need to do next. And sometimes we've already been given one. And it might be subtle and easy to miss, but it also might be as clear and as articulate as now the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. Which leads us to message note number two. This is another way that you and I can create unrealistic expectations. And that is, I don't listen to good guidance. Why don't we listen to good guidance? Let's start small. Speed limits. Did everybody listen to that guidance on the way here today? Do we have any students in the room? Any college students? You have professors that tell you to start working on a paper in October that's due in December. When do you start working on it? December. Like, why do we do that, right? How about when you go to restaurants and someone brings you a hot plate and they set it down and they say, don't touch it, it's hot. How many of you have the ridiculous urge to touch it? Everybody that laughed is really stubborn and I like you. But why do we do that? We think we're not going to get burned, right? Have you ever been encouraged, don't date him, don't date her, and you do it anyways? Is there anyone that has ever been depressed? Maybe you are right now addicted to something. And someone you love has asked you to get help time after time after time, and you won't do it. Why don't we listen? And I think the basic answer is you and I are just like Lot. We're human. And we think that we can push the envelope in ways. And the tricky thing about that is, is every time that we push the envelope and get a little bit closer to the edge and we don't fall and we don't get burned, it feeds a question or a statement that feeds our ego that it won't happen to me. I'm stronger than those other people. And it feels this basic curiosity. But the thing about not listening to good guidance is every time we make tiny shifts and changes and compromise that good guidance, we run the risk of becoming compromised. Which brings us to message note number three. Is sometimes... I get too close to the line of compromise. And so we're going to do a little, a little verse study really fast. But in chapter 12, chapter 13, verse 12, here's what I mean getting too close to the line of compromise. We see after Abram and Lot split ways, Abram pitches his tents near Sodom. If we follow along with Lot's story, there's a battle that breaks out, four kings against five, And a lot of people are taken captive. And so in chapter 14, verse 12, at the very end, we find that Lot is taken captive because he's living in Sodom. So he's now moved from being near to in. Abram gets this whole effort together and goes and saves Lot. And you and I can assume that Lot learned his lesson, right? How many of us learn our lesson the first time? And then if we flip all the way over to chapter 19, the very beginning of this chapter. Two angels arrive at Sodom, and Lot was sitting at the gateway of the city. Lot got too close to the line of compromise. He was near 
he was in, and then he was at the city gates. As the story unfolds in chapter 19, the two angels that arrive are there to really check on the status of Sodom, and it's just as bad as they had heard. They look at Lot, and they say, well, we are done here. Get the people that you love and get out of here. And as Lot and his loved ones are leaving and fleeing from the city that is about to be destroyed, Lot's wife looks back and turns into a pillar of salt. By the time the city has completely fallen, the only people left are Lot and his two daughters. I want you to notice how gradual the compromises were near, in, living at the city gates, but how quickly it unraveled into destruction once he got there. So what I think we see Lot doing in your message notes, number four, is we do this too. I miscalculate my limitations. And so I got to ask, are there any places in your life that you may have miscalculated your limitations? I do it all the time. And I'm so thankful that by the grace of God, I am corrected and still figuring it out. But are there any places that you've miscalculated in what you believe about yourself, how you function in your relationships? And how you truly understand God's promise and God's love for you. Have you miscalculated anywhere? And maybe your miscalculation doesn't lead to total destruction is what we see in Sodom and Gomorrah. Maybe it's an overwhelming loneliness that you experience when you go home. You're lonely when you're around people. You're lonely when you're at home. And if this is you... I encourage you, right after service, and if you're online, we have an opportunity for you online as well, but right after service, you can connect online or at the connection point. We're signing up for people to do life and community in small groups because we have a small group series coming up for Lent. Pastor Rick's going to do it. It's going to be awesome. But sometimes the unrealistic expectation that we build around our loneliness is I can do this by myself. And we were not called to do this thing called life and follow Jesus by ourselves. That's not what we're called to do. We're called to be in community. And although you're never spiritually alone, maybe God's calling you into physical community. So I encourage you to connect right after this. Another place that we often see a miscalculation of limitations is people who are going through recovery. For instance, I know some friends who have a very specific path at HEB and their grocery store to be so many feet away from the alcohol aisle. That's a limitation. Whereas I have other friends who can be in bars and their sobriety is not at risk at all. Same struggle, different limitations. And I think one of the biggest disservices that we can do for ourselves is think that we operate from zero limitations. And I'll share a story with you. Other people don't have to understand your limitations. Those limitations are between you and God. And one of the silly ones that I have is around things that I watch. 
In 2005, I was diagnosed with something called major depression. And I know depression whispers a lot of things to people, but my, my depression whispers to me that I am a poison and that my husband and kids would be better without me. And so when I watch sad movies, and I know those things are lies, but when I watch sad movies, they will put me in a box that is too small to stand and too small to lay down alone with those very convincing lies, and it's just not worth it. Each of us have limitations that we miscalculate all the time, but through God, we can figure them out. And through the Holy Spirit, we can get through things that we cannot even see yet. Just like how God calls Abram to a place he had never seen. God's calling each of us to a place. Do we believe that call is for us? Or do we believe he rang the wrong number when he called us? So many times we do that to ourselves. We miscalculate all the time. What about our friends groups? Iron sharpens iron, right? And sometimes you have a circle of very positive friends that are a great influence on you. I'm not talking about that. But could some of you have a circle of friends where you have become a voiceless reflection of who they are? Are you the person that is being completely 100% influenced, or do you still have some influence? If we look back at the beginning of Lot's story, where he decided to pitch his tents near Sodom, he had absolute influence over his decisions. The next two moves he makes, he's being influenced by something that's not positive. Do we have some people in our lives that may be influencing us in negative ways? Married folks, let's talk. You get what seems to be a harmless email, text, direct message on social media from an ex-boyfriend or an ex-girlfriend just to see how you're doing. And you respond, you have just pitched your tents near Sodom. And I encourage you to be careful. Because days, weeks, months later, you can find yourselves at the city gates of self-destruction. Don't do it to yourself. God has something planned for you and your marriage. And so many times people just say, it's not going to happen to me. That story of divorce isn't going to be mine. And before too long, you hear that person saying, oh, gosh, I think I've fallen out of love with my spouse and in love with this new person. And if you think that you're going to feel love and adoration and respect for your spouse while you're feeding an attraction to somebody else, you may have miscalculated your limitations. We do it all the time. And we are not expected to get it right and perfect. But we are expected to get through it with the help of the Holy Spirit. This last area that we see ourselves creating unrealistic expectations in your message notes, number five, is I don't think I am in a big deal to God. Like if you really just sit there and what you think about God and the purpose that you have on your life, can you truly claim that you are a big deal to God? You are, but do you receive it? 
We can make such great messes in our lives when we think that we are not important to God. And we can look at the parallel story of Abraham and Lot, and we can think, yeah, Abraham was, Abraham was really favored, but so was Lot. The promise to Abraham that was extended to him is the same promise that was extended to Lot. I think the biggest difference that we can find is what they did with their promise. In chapter 13, verse 18, we see Abraham doing this one thing all over scripture. And that is, when he settles someplace, he built an altar to the Lord. So seek first the kingdom of God. And we can really wrestle with this idea. Is this the magic formula? If we seek first, we're guaranteed safety and success? If you read on through Lot's story, you're going to find out he wasn't safe. And there are lots of moments he experienced everything except success. And as you read, there's some moments in Lot's story, and we put the rest of it in your message notes, that will make you blush. And if you don't blush, I have questions for you. But from Lot's story, the Ammonite and the Moabite people are born. And later we learn of this amazing Moabite woman named Ruth. And Ruth is the ancestor of King David. And from the line of David comes Jesus, the Messiah. Lot was important. So was Abraham. So many times you and I think that we are just this side dish to someone else's entree. But we're running parallel. Our stories are running parallel. And we are all connected to the giant story that God has for us, linked to him, loved by him. And as we focus on a couple of things in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, verse 33, we're going to land here. If seeking God first does not create safety and security and success, here's a couple of things that I think we find it doing, especially in the story of Abraham and Lot. Seeking God first invites God to heal what is broken. I think between you and I, we could probably fill this space or a small cargo unit full of our broken pieces. So many times we think we need to be better to be with God. God doesn't need that. God's already with you, ready to help you put together whatever is broken, even if we're the ones that keep breaking it. And I think that is so hopeful that there is nothing that you and I can choose or do that will make us operate outside of God's love and God's promise for us. No matter how much we mess up, no matter how much we believe that God may not be for us, God's still with us, helping us pick up the broken pieces. Another thing seeking God first does is it helps me understand my place in God's promise. I think this is the biggest unrealistic expectation that you and I can operate from, is that we don't understand that we're already operating inside God's promise. Everything that was offered to Abraham was offered to Lot, but so many times we think that other people are a bigger deal than us. And it's easy to do, I get it. We think CEOs, 
maybe sometimes even pastors, definitely people with millions of followers on TikTok. We think they are such a bigger deal than us. But you and I don't serve a God that's called any of us to the background of somebody else's story. God's called you a big deal. The biggest difference that I think we can see between Abraham and Lot is what they did with their promise. Both of them messed up. Both of them did their best to create a final detour away from what God promised, but there was never anything that could take them outside of God's love. Unrealistic expectations can put us in harm's way, but never outside of God's reach. The awesome thing that you and I get to do now is the same question that I imagine Lot wrestled with is the same question you and I get to wrestle with. And it's what will I do with my promise? I cannot wait to grow with you on this journey as we figure it out together. I'll see you in the crossing. Thank you for joining us. If you would like more information on Pathway or to get connected to a ministry, visit our website at pathway.church. We look forward to growing with you as we worship together. God loves you. God is with you.